Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome back to the last episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast of the infamous year 2020. From Kobe Bryant to everything in between, what a year it's been here in the world. We are going to talk today in our last episode of the year couple things. We've got an in-depth interview with University of Tampa Athletics Director Larry Marfis coming up a little little later. But first off, we are going to talk college football playoffs, semifinals, which are going to be New Year's Day. We're going to talk Dwayne Haskins' situation in Washington. I've got a strong opinion on that. We're going to talk Blake Snell getting peddled from the Rays to the Padres post-World Series disaster with Kevin Cash. And then finally, we're going to talk a little NFL playoff scenarios this week in week 17. And I'm happy to bring back my Alabama insider from, he is on location, on assignment from Buford, Georgia today. (laughs) (laughs) One Michael Banks. Welcome back to the podcast, Mike. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're a little post-Christmas family time up here in Buford, Georgia. Um, new, tell, tell the, the new fans, happening. Lo- where, is, where is lovely Buford? Buford is uh, the new, it's uh, north of Atlanta, right? If you know where the Mall of Georgia is up in, up in north, north of Atlanta, it's, it's about 10 minutes away from there. Uh, new, you know, new developing area. Uh, one of the, the hot spots of the, um, you know, where people are commuting to and, and, and all moving out to. So uh, up and coming place, lots of stuff to do around here. They got a top golf about 10 minutes away. They got, you know, the Mall of Georgia 10 minutes away. So no shortage of restaurants, things to do, but uh, out where, where we are, it's, um, it's nice and peaceful. So it's no Chula Vista on the outskirts of Birmingham, is it? No, it's it's a little more a little more happening. <laughs> well, before we get started, let's talk about you were the uh, you were the unfortunate victim of a Alvin Kamara stinger come uh, fantasy playoffs, and then your grave was you, you were you were put into the grave finally on Monday night with a Monday night miracle, courtesy of one Josh Allen in the championship of our T Town Fantasy Football League. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, it was a gift. I, 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 I was in the Christmas spirit, so I decided to bench Miles Gaskin for Antonio Gibson coming <laughs> off a turf toe like an idiot. And uh, that decision gave, uh, gave the opponent the title. So Merry Christmas to, to him, to the Miracles, who uh, were given a miracle of a, of a gift and gave the title away. So I didn't, didn't really want it, I guess. So. And the, and the ironic thing was, even though you got stung for 53 by Kamara on Christmas Day, you made a 
tremendous comeback with Mike Evans and Jeffrey Wilson and those guys. And then you then you have Still to sweat only- it out Monday night to see a putrid Patriots defense as Josh Allen and yep. the Bills are trying to run up the score in Foxborough to the tune of yeah. And if it if it's not for that last drive before he gets benched, if if that's a you know a rushing rushing heavy attack, yeah. I win the game. I'm only lost by eight points, and uh, considering that Kamara has fifty three, Allen has forty one. Yeah. And I have 94 on my bench, wow. 94 combined points on my bench, um, and still to only lose by eight. Uh, definitely, I, I, I definitely was the more complete team all year long, too. I was points champion and uh, was the most consistent team, scoring over 100 all but two games. So uh, just, you know, one bad lineup decision gave it away, wow. so. Yeah, I mean, not uh, not sitting well in the not sitting well in the Vipers front office right now. Yes, we, we were we were texting back and forth Monday on that last drive, and I told you I was like, "This will be the last drive for Allen, one way or the other, yeah. before he decides to throw like seven I, straight passes for like seventy-five yards and a yeah. touchdown." <laughs> yeah, already up by already up by twenty-five plus. But yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks. It's called twenty yeah, years. That's what of- I said. I said, yeah, he'll pull him, but uh, but not until they they you know have the dagger. Already, already in me, and I knew that's, that. That's, I knew that's that was called. That's happen. called. That's I, I called twenty to, years of twenty years of misery. Yeah, yeah, I knew, and that's what I told. I told my opponent. I said he, you know, because he kept saying, "I don't know," you know, the Patriots. This blah blah blah. I said, "Look, man, this is this is years of embarrassment from Buffalo, and they are going to put it all into that one game and show everybody on Monday night." I'm telling you, it's going to happen, and I, I will say this. I lose by eight. I truly believe if Gilmore is not hurt the week before, I think I win the game because I think that Buffalo still wins, but I don't yeah. think, I don't think that it's as wide open. You know, Diggs is running free yeah. everywhere and you got Gilmore <laughs> covering that guy. Right. You know, it's a little bit lower scoring maybe, but uh, whatever. For sure. For sure. All right, let's Move get to on. the action. Let's get to the let's get to the action that's close to your heart. Friday, New Year's Day, semifinal number one. Let's let, well, let's do we'll do the other one first, then we'll get your Alabama one second. Let's let's start with Clemson, Ohio State. Clemson's about a seven point favorite. They are playing. Where's that game being played at? Sugar Bowl. In, uh, New Orleans, yeah, it's a Sugar Bowl. Okay, so we got yep. Clemson. Hosting Ohio State, obviously Clemson coming off the huge win over Notre Dame. Ohio State looking very mediocre against Northwestern. You know, the, everybody's around the country. Should Ohio State be in, not be in, all that good stuff. Let's break this game down a little bit. You got Trevor Lawrence playing it pretty fully, fully back healthy. Both teams seem to be pretty healthy. Your thoughts, semifinal number one. Well, Ohio State. I think it all depends on if all those guys get cleared from Ohio State or not. I haven't heard the latest on that. If they have been cleared, uh, what's his face? The the receiver uh, for Ohio State, I think, is going to be be big in that if he's if he's able to play. Chris Olave, um, Olave, yes. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that you know, obviously, I, I believe Clemson has the deeper team, um, but. You know, you got the you got the thing from Dabo ranking them number eleven in the coaches poll. Uh, Ohio State believes they can play with anybody. I don't personally believe that. I think that um, 
I don't think they've looked good against the tougher teams from the Big Ten this year. Um, and, you know, only playing six games, how much does that you – know, a lot of people don't realize you play a number of games, you find out more about yourself to play in those tough games. Um, right. So I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I lean towards Clemson there. I think I don't, I don't think that Ohio State has the defense of years past with the Chase Youngs, the Bosa's, to really give the pass rush that's going to be needed to affect Lawrence because you've right. got to pressure that guy. If you don't get the pressure on him, he will pick you apart. And so I, I just I don't um, you know Northwestern played with those guys at Ohio State for three quarters pretty much uh, yeah. before they just you know kind of gave out. Clemson's got a way better team than that and can play you full four quarters. So I lean towards Clemson in the game. I think that uh, even with the comments, you know, comments can only get you so much. Yeah, um, that's that's, that's going to be that's so. going to be meaningless. After, you know, that's, to me, that's meaningless. I think you'll see a fired up Ohio State team to come out with uh, sure. uh, the comments. You know, the ranking and all that, but. Again, that you know, like Saban says, that, that emotion can, can only carry you so far in a game. You got to still execute a game plan and play for four quarters in order to win. So, I think Clemson's still going to win the game. Um, I think. And, a, uh, I think. But I, I, think for, I don't think it'll be a blowout. Yeah, I think a key for Clemson's going to be establishing Etienne to run the ball and not be just yeah. so dependent on Lawrence to throw it every down. Um, you know, that was the thing in Ohio State. Ohio State ran the ball down Northwestern's throat there in the second half yeah. with Trey Sermon. 300-something yards. <clears throat> and that's why I think Ohio State's going to try to do that. They're going to try to control the clock and keep Clemson off the field. I think you're going to see a lot of Trey Sermon. Um, Fields did not look very good in that game, throwing the ball. And whether that's a product of the receivers not being there, who knows. But I think you're going to see a lot of the – I think whoever can run the ball the best is probably going to – ultimately win the game i'm with you i like clemson um i've already got my uh i've already got my investment on my teaser with clemson and <laughs> and my buccaneers <laughs> so we're just got to cash the ticket just win the game clemson but i'm with you i think clemson's the the team here um i don't think ohio state's gonna i think i think it'll be double digit i think it'll be 10 10 12 points something like that it'll be a yeah, competitive man. game but i think it'll end up being double digits uh when, when it's over with uh with Clemson advancing to the national championship game. Semifinal number two, we have obviously Alabama, Notre Dame. You got the, all the hype around the Heisman Trophy situation. Who's, you know, Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris. You have all the hype around Notre Dame. Are they, are they the same old Notre Dame from, from over the years? Can't, can get into these kind of games, but can never play well enough to win them and be competitive. Obviously, they weren't super competitive in the in the Clemson game. Though I will say, had they scored, they you know they jumped out early against Clemson. Had they cashed in that first turnover to make it ten nothing and not missed that yeah. short chip field goal, I think that's a different game. Personally, um, I think once the kicking game situation went went haywire, I think that changed the complexion. Clemson probably still wins the game, but I think it would have been much more competitive. Um, this yeah. game's going to be in Dallas and not in the Rose Bowl. So, again, not I, no. What is the fan situation? Are they having fans? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jerry, Jerry's letting fans in. We're not worried about fans. And, <laughs> we got to sell one reason Alabama. We got to sell Pepsi's. <laughs> yeah, and that's one reason Alabama chose the that that locale uh, and chose to go there rather than New Orleans, as they knew they could get more fans in Dallas. Right. They have a better following. They have a better following in Dallas in the actual city. Uh, plus more people, you know, 
would would rather I think most Alabama fans would rather go to to Dallas, yeah. especially in this situation with COVID. Right. <clears throat> All right. So let's break down the Alabama. We, obviously, the match, the big matchup in this game to me is the Alabama offense and the Notre Dame defense. Um, yeah. Though some would say what the Notre Dame offense might be the key matchup against the Alabama defense because you got to figure Alabama's going to score thirty no matter what Notre Dame does. Uh, Alabama's going to uh, score easily. thirty, and the question is, can Notre Dame get to thirty? If keep not, up. if exactly, and keep up. Your thoughts? I mean, yeah. obviously they've got a balanced running attack. Notre Dame does. Books done a, had a good year at quarterback, but to me, I don't know how good their wide receivers are at Notre Dame. And can you consistently run the ball against Alabama is going to be the question. Well, I think there's a couple of things here, or obviously a lot of things, but one thing I look at Notre Dame, um, their defense. Yes. They've had a good defense pretty much most of the year, but in those two games against Clemson, people, people forget Clemson put up without Lawrence, a ton of yards and a ton of points on Notre Dame's defense. That was not a blowout. Uh, ETN, they 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 pretty much scored at will for most yep. of that game. The game yep. went to overtime. Clemson, you know, scored in the overtime. Notre Dame's defense, you know, is not that great. They're not right. you're not talking about like this unbelievable defense. And now you're talking about the best offense in college football year long, 50 points a game. You got to keep up with that. I mean, there it doesn't matter in especially in this day of college football. There's no defense that's shutting Alabama down to 20 points. It's not happening. It's just not right. going to happen. No. I don't know. And so then I believe it does come back. Can Notre Dame's offense, who is predicated on more of establishing the run, creating play action, can they keep up with Alabama? I just don't see them having the playmakers and the explosiveness to keep up. I expect at least 35 points from Alabama, if not more. And I just don't think Notre Dame can keep up. The other thing you got to realize too, is Alabama's defense had two really bad games all year long. Ole Miss, poor tackling, poor execution. They really got it under control. Then they faced Florida and people around the country might not know it, but the two guys that are on Florida's defense are on Florida's offense, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony. It's not two guys like that pretty much in the country that are matchup nightmares like they are, like those guys are. So yeah, they allowed 36 to Florida or whatever it was. And, and those two guys were one of the reasons. But the Alabama defense is much improved, you know, contrary to Guy Myers' beliefs. The, the, team, the, the, the Alabama defense is a much improved unit. And without those special guys that Notre Dame really lacks, I don't see it being that, uh, that close. I really don't think that – I don't – you know, it, it would just take – it would take a really true luck of the Irish type game, kind of an Auburn-Alabama type kick six crap right <laughs> things like that in order to really win this game and i just don't think that notre dame has enough to keep it that close to win some kind of miracle game at the end i just don't i mean i just don't see it and, and don't I mean, anybody anybody that thinks that alabama is going to be looking past notre dame they don't they've never they haven't been paying attention for the last 12 years that no happen. they don't do that no they, they don't they don't do that so now so alabama is a huge favorite in the game minus 20 they're three touchdown favorite basically to me a matchup yeah. to look at is going to be how does alabama replace their center bubba dickerson who went out in the florida game <laughs> yeah you know that's going to be i mean that that's the one area where if notre dame can win the win the line of scrimmage in the pass rush game yeah. where that could that could derail some of the passing attack a little bit yeah, and, and, you know, one thing with that is uh, 
uh, the two guys that, that, you know, they don't really have even announced who the guy is going to be. Uh, Dalcourt is one, is one name. Um, other names escapes me right off the top of my head, but those two guys are still, you're still talking about putting a four or five star recruit back there. It's not some schlub walk on, but it isn't Landon Dickerson. It, people do not understand how important that guy is to this offense. He, he makes all the calls of the line of scrimmage, right? He's the heart and soul of the team. Anybody that watched that Florida game, you don't see an entire team, right? When a guy gets hurt, you might see an offense. You might see the other offensive linemen. You, you don't see the entire team, 70 plus guys walk to a guy. If he's not important to that team. Sure. He's, he is that important to that team. So that will be a big, that will be a big thing. You're right. Uh, controlling the line of scrimmage. Um, and Notre Dame, and, Notre, and on the other side, Notre Dame's got a really good offensive line. So that they're going to have to control the yeah. line of scrimmage against the Alabama D line. And they're, you know, they're blitzing schemes and all that stuff that Saban's going to bring as far as putting pressure on books. So, to me, yeah. again, I think the line of scrimmage, you, you will know early with the line of scrimmage play how this game could potentially go. Because if Notre Dame can win the line of scrimmage, they can stay in the game with, again, running the clock, running the ball, burning some, some time. Because Notre Dame doesn't want to be in a 38-35 to 35 game. They want to be in a 27-20 to 20 kind of game or 24-17, even though that's going to be very difficult to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah you're not, they're not going to win a shootout they're not going to win a shootout with Alabama because you, if you try to match them point for point, you're going to, you're, you're not right. going to be, Ian book is a good quarterback. He's not that kind of quarterback. This right. is not a Clemson that can do that. This is not a Florida that can do that. Right. It's, it's, they don't have those kind of playmakers. So yeah, they're going to have to play ball control. They're going to have to keep, keep the ball away from the Alabama offense and keep that offense on the sideline in order to have a chance. But the key is going to be, if you can force a turnover, Notre Dame, that is, you got to capitalize off of. You can't you do what you score, did against Clemson. You got to score gotta, touchdowns. You got to score touchdowns. You can't kick field goals against Alabama. You kick field yep. goals, you lose. Yeah, no question. All right. So you like obviously you like Alabama. I I, I think yes. Alabama's going to win the game. I I would just from a fan's perspective, I hope it's a good game at least into the fourth quarter to some degree within within ten points from from a viewing perspective. I think Alabama will win the game. Uh, the twenty point spread. You know, I could I could make an argument either way to to, to justify going either way um, on that. You know, I've always kind of been a, yeah. a little bit of a Notre Dame homer to some degree. I've always I always just like the story of Notre Dame. I know there people hate them, but um, you know, I just hope well, it's, I just hope it's a good game. Yeah, and, and uh, Chris Owens is the other guy. Was, he's a red shirt senior. That is the other uh, center, the center that I was thinking of. Yeah, Darian Dalcourt is a sophomore. Chris Owens is a redshirt senior. So you're still putting, you know, Chris Owens is probably is gonna more than likely get that uh get that starting assignment there. Right. Um and and, and yes, he is a tough play. Uh Landon Dick Landon Dickerson is a tough replace. Uh you don't replace him, you, you know, but you still have some really good uh you really have some you still have some really good talent on that offensive oh, line. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. It's not like you're you, you know, that was your only guy. But uh and you're putting a red shirt senior in there. So it's obviously somebody that's been around the program, been around the sure. offense, sure. been in that room before. So it's you know, there's still gonna be a, you know, it's not gonna be disastrous, but it is a tough, you know, it's tough to replace a guy like that. So all right, give me your give me your national championship prediction. We think Clemson and Alabama. What do you yeah. give me your who do you yeah. like? It's same old same old, same old. I think, you know, I know the rest of the country is tired of Clemson and Alabama, but 
you know, that's just the way it is right now. I, you know, I read something online, ways to try to fix this thing. The only way you're going to fix it is for one of those two coaches or both coaches to leave. <laughs> that's the only way it's going to be right. fixed. You right. can put as many playoff teams in there as you want. You can try to spread things out as long as Dabo and Saban and Ryan Day and these coaches are recruiting like they're recruiting. This is it. This is what you have right now. Right. Um, and obviously as an Alabama fan, as a Clemson fan, it's fun for, for these, for those fan bases. It's not fun for the rest of the country, but that's yep. just the way it is. I, I, I do like Alabama and Clemson and I, I do, I would obviously lean towards Alabama. I don't know what the line would be right now. You know, I, I know that they, they I better be three or, I better be three or four points. It'd be pretty close. Yeah, it's going to be pretty close, but I think that um, I think Alabama is on a mission this year. They they're just playing with a different um, they're playing with a different attitude than they have the last year or two. Um, sour taste from two years ago losing to Clemson the way they did. Sour taste from last year from you know not making it. Uh, it's so, and you got hey, guys quick, on there. Did did uh, did Sark load up with the? Uh... The, the liquor cabinet for Christmas. <laughs> I think he's staying away from that. He he loaded up with the Broyles Award for the top assistant. Obviously, he's celebrating with the liquor uh, cabinets not full yeah. in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I think it's empty. I think I think he <laughs> uh, I think he's learned his lesson. I mean, yeah, I I just think that there is just a different just a different mindset right now. And Clemson's a great team, but I don't. I just I would see that you know, games played in Miami outdoors. Um, I just I think that uh, I think Alabama would win the game. I think, but I think it'd be close. And I think for the first time in a while, well, what you've been saying all along, one of these games, one of these days, is going to come down to field goals for Alabama. And this time, they got a guy that can make them. And so it's it's a, uh, I think I think it could be a game that could come down to a field goal. And and yeah. got Alabama's got a guy who 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 can make them now. So um, the Birmingham so yeah. product, the Birmingham product. Ooh. Hoover U product, school. Will Rogers. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I I watched him kick all through high school. And and when he got to Alabama, I knew something was up last year. The, the misses he was having and, and just wasn't right. Something wasn't right. And, you know, obviously he had a huge, a big groin injury the whole year trying to kick through it. And, uh, you know, as, as a kicker yourself, you know, if you if your groin's not right, you're not kicking field goals. Right. That's right. not going to happen. So uh, a healthy real Will Reichert has shown this year in uh, Tuscaloosa. All right, give me a quick thought on the Auburn coaching search. Got kind of turned into a little bit of a, not debacle, but a little bit of a, just you had some internal politics I, and internal people. You know, they had names. I think Sark, it was. Sarkeesian was a name that was mentioned. You know, you had a couple other guys. You had Bill Clark at UAB. Bill Clark. Was mentioned. Yeah. Um, they settled on Brian Harson from Boise State. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I do. I think debacle is the right word. I know that the Auburn uh, alum will not admit that, but I think it was. I don't think they had a plan going in when they fired Gus. And I, you know, right now it's an arms race in the SEC. You have to recruit to keep up with the Joneses. You got Alabama, obviously, head and shoulders above in recruiting. You got LSU, you have AM, you have Florida, you have Georgia. These teams recruit. And if you can't recruit, you're gonna have a tr you have a tough time in bringing a guy in that's not from this area that you know born and raised in right you know Boise. I don't know if he's gonna be able to recruit the players for a while at least to unless he surrounds himself with some good recruiters. 
to get the guys at Auburn that's going to be needed to compete in the SEC West. I, I, as an Alabama fan, I love the hire. <laughs> that, it looks fine to me on, on paper. Anything can happen. You know, yep. we questioned things before, but I don't see it as a good hire. Um, I think you really, they really needed to get somebody that could recruit here in the SEC because you got to keep up in this yep. conference. So they owe, they owe Gus a think, lot of money. They owe Gus a lot of money. So yeah. that was probably part of That's, the equation too. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, paying a guy 20 something million dollars and it's not a lot left over and it's hard to, especially in this time period in COVID and, and business enrollment, enrollment, college down enrollment down. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's tough to justify. Well, spend 20 million on one guy and then go spend another 20 on another guy. Right. It's hard to, hard to justify that. So. All yeah. right. Let's, let's I, pivot to, let's pivot to major league baseball. The one trade I want to talk about close to my heart here, Blake Snell gets peddled from Tampa to San Diego to the Padres for prospects and all that stuff. You and I have discussed this. I said, I said it four months ago. The moment Kevin Cash walked out of that dugout in the sixth inning, Blake Snell was never pitching another inning for the Rays because of the respect was lost with Blake and uh, the the organization and Cash and all that stuff. Not for Kevin Cash, no. And it finally, and it finally came to roost. It was kind of a news dump on Sunday night at eleven o'clock at night, kind of deal that it kind of broke. So that was kind of a little, little suspicious there too. But uh, Snell was only making $13 million, which that's a lot of money. I get it. But for a number one starter, that's not a lot of money in today's market. And that's a contract that the Rays could definitely afford to have kept, um, especially after losing Charlie Morton. They've already lost Morton. Um, so this was just the first, I think, drop of the barrel. I think there's lots of talk down here that Kevin Kiermeyer might be the next one to go, who was another veteran player that was not happy about the whole World Series thing. So be interesting to see what happens with Kiermaier as we get closer to the season. You're a big baseball guy. What do you, you know, Blake Snell going to the Padres. Good move for them for sure. Oh, I, I think on the surface, it's a beautiful move for the Padres. They, they already are contending. They made the playoffs this year. They've got to compete with the Dodgers in the West and they got the arms to do it. Now they already had some good talent arm wise, you know, with Paddock and, um, uh, they have uh, Mackenzie Gore coming up. They've got some good guys, and now you add him, and now they've added you, Darvish. Right. So they've got they've got some arms. There, the, the Padres are all in right now. They're, they they push their chips to the table, and it's not just for a one year thing. They've got these guys under control through twenty twenty two. Right. Uh, you still got Machado. Next... You got Tatis. You got plenty of hitting. Yes. You got Hosmer. You got a you got a yeah. good offensive and, team as well. Yeah, no, they're 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 designed to win right now, and uh, so I think it was a great deal for the, for the Padres. I don't dislike the deal for the Rays. I don't think they got shortchanged. No, Luis I get Patino, it. For for those guys that people don't know, prospects, guys a top prospect. I think the key to that deal is going to be can Kevin Cash, the former catcher, can he turn Francisco Mejia into the hitter that everybody thought he was going to be back in Cleveland. Cleveland dumped him to San Diego. He never really came, you know, really had a, he really never had a fair shot in San Diego. He's always splitting time with Austin Hedges, but he never really came. His bat never came around like they thought right. it would. Can they do to Mejia, with Mejia what they did with Darno and kind of turn that right. guy around? Right. If they can turn Mejia around with Patino and the other two guys in that deal, they got a pretty good haul for him. 
But like you said, this was all about what happened in game six in that, in, in that sixth inning. He was never going to pitch again anyways. And has that decision cost this franchise set them back? Has it set them back some? Because that decision seems to have had ripple effects throughout the rest of the organization, not just Blake yep. Snell. So I think on the surface, it's a good deal for both teams. Snell gets out of there, gets to go to another yep. contender and yep. possibly a chance to, to show, look, here's what, you know, this, this, this manager will lead me in, you know, kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I, it, it is a, it is a, it's an unfortunate situation for, for Tampa fans because right. you had a guy that was a, under a, a Cy Young winner under a controllable contract like that. That's tough to swallow. I know. And like I said, I, and I get it. I, this is how the Rays have done business the last six or seven years where they flip their better players yeah. for prospects. And you hope the pro, you know, they get four guys in this deal. If two of them pan out, it's a good deal. You need to get two of them to pan out. Right. They, need, they need a catcher. Mejia could be the answer as a catcher. You know, they got the big prospect as a pitcher. And, and, the, and the Rays are the best at developing minor league kids, pitchers and that kind of stuff, right. and be, making them productive. But this, the, to me, it was a mental, the, 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 the psychology of the whole situation of taking Snell out, the, yeah. you know, the, the trauma that, you know, the, the Rays had a chance to win that World Series. It was game six. Yeah. They're winning game six, and they got a chance to take the Dodgers to a seventh game. And I just hope that I don't know what Cash is going to have to do this offseason with the guys that are in that dugout come spring training. But it's going to be something that he may hopefully he doesn't regret the rest of his career. That's the as the move that that yeah. defines his career, you know. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, I mean, the Rays have lit, the Rays live on analytics, and I get it. But hopefully that's not the move that we all remember Kevin Cash for. Well, think about it. We you know we talked about this after the World Series. Um, what what move do we all remember Grady Little for? Yep. Yeah, taking Pedro out. You know, yep. taking Pedro out or leaving him in too long. Old. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, leaving him in leaving too him long. Leaving him in too long, right? Leaving him in too long. My my fault. So that's that is the move that everybody remembers Grady Little for. And so yep. you hope that, like you said, Kevin Cash is a young manager relative, you know, to the other managers in the league. And uh, you hope that's not what his defining moment is. He's got to win that locker room back over somehow. Right. Uh, to a, two of the guys that you know would he would have had to really win over are gone now. Like you said, Morton and and Snell. And hopefully some of these young guys, they, they will buy in not knowing, you know, the situation that, you know, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough turnaround, but Hey, you got the talent. You're just going to have to, I mean, we do. you got the talent. So, um, and, you know, baseball, I think um, this year it has been, has been a struggle for the young talent because there was no minor league season. Right. And so you had so many guys, you know, developing at these offsite facilities during the, the season. And so it was going to be really interesting to see how baseball, uh, how the young guys develop for the next couple of years, because all the young talent you're seeing in the league now in, in major league baseball all had a chance to come through the minor leagues. Not only did they not have a minor league season, but now they're gutting the minor leagues. Right. And it's going to be a, it's going to be really interesting to see how baseball turns this around because you know, the youth in baseball is really what has infused the game in the last couple of years. So, uh, but, but now it's, it's more wide open. I think now than sure. it has been in a while sure. because you got the Padres competing with the Dodgers out there in the West. You got the Braves, you have the, the, the Nationals. Mets are coming the with Phillies. a new owner. The Mets are going to spend some money. The, the, the Mets owner. are spending money. The Yankees, the, the Rays. 
Um, and, and the Tigers, look at the Tigers. They're, they're, they've realized, hey, we can't just buy our way to, to a World Series. We got we to gotta build. They've we got to cheat. We got to cheat. We got to get the cheater. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, you know, I think that uh, I think it'll be interesting to see, especially, you know, Tampa. With, yep. with all those young guys and see if they can still develop those guys without the minor if we can keep a Rosa Raina from starring in the movie uh, Ransom or Taken we'll, we'll have a shot right yeah <laughs> yeah keep him <laughs> keep him off the uh, keep him out of Liam Neeson's area yeah <laughs> all right last thing we'll get let's get to let's go back to the NFL real quick quick thought on Dwayne Haskins he got cut um you know, obviously he's had his issues in D.C. Here's the one thing I'm going to say about that whole situation that, that, that doesn't smell great to me. If Dwayne Haskins was such a problem, why was he not cut after the Seattle situation when he went to the strip club on Sunday night? Why wasn't he cut that next Monday? Well, the reason he wasn't cut was because Alex Smith was hurt. Had Alex Smith not been hurt, he probably would have been cut. Here's my thing. Right. Would you have cut Dwayne Haskins on Monday of this week if he'd have thrown for 250 yards and two touchdowns and they beat Carolina? We know what the answer is to that, no. So to me, Ron Rivera's trying to make, well, you know, he needed a new change of scenery. Well, he needed that only because you didn't need him no more to play or, you, or, he, or he showed that he was not the guy. Had he, had he had a good game on Sunday, Dwayne Haskins would still be on the Washington football team. I agree. And, you know, of course, this hurts me because he was one of the main reasons why Antonio Gibson wasn't running the ball because of his ineptitude at quarterback cost me a fantasy title there. But I, I completely agree with you on that. And I, you know, I don't think many people really believe that Dwayne Haskins was a good quarter. Was it going to be a franchise guy when he was drafted 15 from what I've heard, there's assistant coaches that were almost sick when they drafted that guy that ownership wanted him and, and the coaches did not, nobody really saw him as a franchise guy. He didn't have much experience at Ohio State. What one year right. of starting right. you play in a system like that. You, you know, he did never showed that he could make the decisions on the field, read defenses, things that are a must for an NFL quarterback. Yeah. He had the arm talent, but that doesn't give you, that doesn't mean anything in the NFL. That's about anymore. 30%. That's about 30% of the equation. If that, if that. And so I agree with you. Why, why, why did you not cut him? You, you took his captaincy away from him. Yeah, big deal. They, I mean, that's they didn't anything. cut him because Alex Smith was hurt. That's why right. they didn't cut him. And they, and they didn't want to go into the game with Taylor Heineke, which guess what? You might be doing this week with your playoff right. li- hope or life on the line. Right. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think that, you know, that's the life of the NFL, though. What can you do? F- what can you do for me? How, what can you do for me lately? Have you done for me lately? And if he throws for 300 and, and they win that game, he's starting this week too, more than likely if, if Alex Smith is not healthy. Um, so, which I don't think he'll be back this week. I still think that they're uh, from what I've read and, and listened to from doctors uh, that, you know, cover the NFL, that it's not a matter of if he's at serious risk or not. It's that he does not have – he's got this calf strain in the leg that had all the, yeah. the injuries and the, and the surgeries, and they've grafted so much muscle just to make up his calf wow. uh, and took away from his calf muscle right. 
that that is why he is not playing. He doesn't have the strength to really push off and keep himself out of danger. Right. And that is why it's taken so long. Most quarterbacks of calf strain is not that big of a deal. But I will say um, calf, calf you know, strains are very painful. You've ever had a calf strain. They are painful. But most quarterbacks, most quarterbacks that, that throw from the pocket can 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 do enough right. to at least play through it, especially when your playoff life is on the line. Right. He is in a different situation. Sure. No, no I agree with you. Calf strains are not nothing to be no, nothing to, you know, it's not like they're just some phantom injury. But I think that that is why. So I don't see him back this week. And you're going to be looking at Taylor Heineke, I believe, starting for Washington. And, you know, but it wouldn't matter. Dwayne Haskins wasn't going to win that game either. So um, I know my my whole thing is Haskins deserved to get cut. I just didn't like how Ron Rivera just conveniently kept him around around because he needed him to play. Don't don't say it's a culture. Right. And no, I agree with you. He's ruining our culture in the locker room. But if he'd have played good Sunday, he'd still be the quarterback. That's the thing I don't like. Right. Rivera. It, no, I agree with you. I, I thought that I thought that it ran through my mind the day after the Seattle thing that he should have been cut that day. Right. That that, that Monday before last, he should have been cut then. It should have been right. over with. Um, you know, you're you're in week 16. You got a team that's playing for the for for their playoff. I mean, this team was not expected to compete at all, and right. they are in first place. And you go out and do something stupid like that. To me, this is this isn't week two where it's it like, oh, well, we don't really it's know. Not what. the first incident with with Haskins off the field. Right. Yeah, it's not the first incident. So you know what we know now. Any of these guys that are going out and doing this, they're not buying into what that what what that right. team wants you know right. they're they're the lsu where they're like hey we're out of it what does it matter right but this seems not out of it and 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 i and i'm telling you if they had if alex smith can come back if they do somehow beat the eagles manage to beat the eagles without him and he can come back for that first game washington's a pretty good team because they got a great defense so, well they're gonna they're gonna most likely play my bucks in round one with the bucks yeah. win they're the five yeah. seed so the bucks are coming to town with that Brady and that Brady and shoot offense. So I, I think it's one and done for the NFC East. Oh, no I, I, I agree with that, but I do think that they're better than what their record states. Yeah. I think that their, their defense can keep them in games. Yep. Um, and when Alex Smith is playing well, they had a running game before Antonio Gibson went, got hurt, a really good running game, good offensive line. McLaurin's good at the receiver position. Uh, they're they're just decimated right now, but yeah. their their record their record is not indicative of how good their their team can be. Um, so all right, so you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm Jason. We're talking to Michael Banks up in Buford, Georgia, in a little holiday, a little cel- little little New Year's celebration up in Buford. You can reach out to us on the podcast. Remember, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Pandora. Reach me on Twitter at jposports. Um, we'd love to hear from the comments from you. Just want to mention a couple of our quick sponsors, Titan Home Lending. If you need a home loan, need a refinance, looking to buy, reach out to me, give me a call. I'd love to help you. Number's 205-790-1404. I can help you anywhere in the state of Florida. Um, love that, like I said, interest rates are at all-time lows. So definitely if you're interested, take advantage of that. And I'd uh, love to help you. Um, last thing we'll talk about, playoff scenarios heading into – Sunday, we only got a couple couple things, and one thing in the NFC, basically three teams for two spots in the NFC, and then you basically got five teams for four spots in the AFC. NFC first, basically it's Arizona, LA, and Chicago are the three teams in the mix. 
Arizona without uh, iffy going to be iffy whether Kyler Murray plays. No Jared Goff for the Rams. We're going to have John Walford, our man, <laughs> the, the Johnny come lately of the week with uh, Blake Bortles backing him up. <laughs> uh, the winner of that game uh, is potentially in. And then you have the, the Chicago Green Bay matchup where Trubisky is kind of re- revived from the dead. It's played really well the last month. If Chicago wins, I believe they're in if they win. Uh, and Green Bay is still playing for the number one seed. So who do you – out of those three teams in the NFC, Arizona, L.A., Chicago, who, which two do you like to get in? I, I like Arizona and Chicago, even with, I believe, Chicago losing that game. Uh, Mitch still makes one throw a game that makes you go, what in the world was he doing? I mean, as well as he's played, if you watch the games, and I have as a David Montgomery owner, he still <laughs> makes one or two throws that makes you go, what in the world is this guy doing? Right. Uh, who was he looking at on that throw? So, I, and and with Green Bay still playing for that one seed, they're not taking any. They're not sitting the starters or anything like that. Should Green Bay should win that game? Uh, I think that Arizona uh, Kyler Murray, from what I heard, was practicing today. Said it was a leg whip. They think he, he's he'll be fine, even without even with Jared Goff. I'm t- I'm telling you that guy's he's just not a great quarterback. He's up not and a good down, man. I don't so believe. up and down, up and down. And, and that, that game plan, what they did on Sunday was, was just horrific. I, I think McVay, I think the luster is gone from that. So I, if they were to somehow miraculously win with John Walford, I don't think it really matters. I think that team um, is done after that. Um, defense just can't keep up with how bad the offense is performing. And, and that's with some really good players on that offensive front right, for, right. for LA. So I think Arizona and Chicago get in there from the, uh, from the from the NFC and in the AFC, I think that uh, with Mason Rudolph starting at against Pittsburgh, I think Indianapolis is going to be the one that's left out. Um, well, possibly here, here, Miami. Let's, let's talk um, about the AFC scenario. Yeah, if Cleveland wins, they're in. You got Tennessee and Indianapolis. One of those two is going to win the division. Probably, most likely, Tennessee is going to win that division. The, th- the, the scenario right now, Indianapolis is, is outside looking in. They need Miami, Cleveland, or Tennessee to lose. One of those three teams to lose. So, um, obviously, the most likely scenario is Miami losing at Buffalo, but you don't know what Buffalo's going to do. You don't know if Buffalo's going to play hard or not because Buffalo and Pittsburgh are vying for the number two seed, and Pittsburgh's already declared Roethlisberger's not playing, so likely is. Cleveland's going to beat Pittsburgh, which means Buffalo would have the two seed, even if they lose to Miami. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams play it, especially Buffalo, because Buffalo is going to dictate to Indianapolis how they're going to, you know, what their fate is most likely. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, Indianapolis really, uh, man, blowing that lead against Pittsburgh is going to come back to haunt them in the end. Uh, Miami, I, I think that is that Miami Buffalo, flow game is the key game there uh because I, I believe indianapolis plays jacksonville or do they or tennessee play jacksonville which one plays jacksonville uh tennessee plays houston indy plays That's jacksonville. Right. indy plays jacksonville and I, I i see both of those teams winning that yes. those games and so it i think you're right it comes i think cleveland beats pittsburgh it comes down to that miami buffalo game and it's all about, you know, can Tua play the whole game without getting benched? Can Fitzpatrick lead him back if, if he does? Here comes, does? Here comes Rivera in the third quarter. Mariano coming yeah, in yeah. Do, do we 
do we call for the closer or, or is, is the closer even needed because Buffalo has said, you know, the heck with this at the half, let's save these guys We're you know, Pittsburgh's going to lose anyways. Right. Which so, I think they'll uh, do. I think if they, if they see clearly Pittsburgh's getting beat soundly, I think Allen will be out of there at halftime and you'll see Matt yeah. Barkley. Yeah. Which, which, you know, obviously bodes well for Miami and not for Indianapolis. So right. blowing that lead to Pittsburgh, that's a, that was a brutal, that was brutal for them. You know, that could cost them the playoffs. So that was a, that uh, was a pound, that was a pewter pick of the week last week, the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> to come I, back. I had, from the, the dead. I, had the, I had the Steelers as well. It wasn't looking good for, for the first half, but uh, <laughs> you know, obviously once Ben starts calling the plays, everything's fine after that offensive it's, coordinator, Roethlisberger. Yes. Yes, big, big, big daddy, big daddy Ben. But all right, so you like, you like, you like, and the sad part is, I think if Indianapolis gets in, they could do some damage because they've got yes. a great running game. Rivers is playing good enough, and the defense is good enough. Well, I think they could do yeah. some damage. But to me, I think it's going to come down to Buffalo and Kansas City in the AFC because we'll say what you want, that Buffalo offense is, is pretty damn good. And can score. They are, and I think a lot of Kansas City, I, I think they can. And and another thing with Kansas City is everybody looks to this Falcons game and thinks, "Uh oh, Kansas City's yeah, Kansas they're they're fine, yeah, <laughs> they're fine." <clears throat> um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that I think that Buffalo is is the team that can can keep up with Kansas City. I do think Indianapolis is dangerous if Cleveland's healthy. I think that they could be a dangerous team because of their running game as well. As right. long as, uh, as, as long as they get those receivers back. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate the time, man. Enjoy life in Buford, Georgia for the next couple of days. Have a great new year's again. You're listening to the powers on sports podcast coming up. UT athletics, university of Tampa athletics director, Larry Marfis talking about COVID all the things he's had to do this school year. Uh, and all those things and his career and such. So appreciate the time, Mike, and stay tuned to Larry Murphy. She's coming right up. Thanks, Jason. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, here in Tampa. You can reach us on the different podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora. Reach out to us on my Twitter handle at JPO Sports. We are very excited to be bringing in the athletics director at the University of Tampa, Larry Marfis. Larry is a in his 22nd year as the athletic director at the University of Tampa. He has been under his uh, leadership. The, the Spartans of UT have won 10 national titles. Uh, Larry is a very accomplished uh, administrator in a very uh, detailed career throughout the country and all, all different parts of the country. So we want to welcome Larry to the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Larry. Uh, thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to be here. Uh, hopefully you're doing well and staying safe. I am. I appreciate that. How's your, how's your, I always like the, this time of year, how's your Christmas shopping coming? Yeah, it hasn't started yet. <laughs> I do my, I do my best work last minute. So I just go in and grab something and everybody's happy with it. There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, I know give the odds a little sense. Larry's got a, Larry's got what well, your son is still out in Portland. Is that right? I have one son who's a teacher and a coach here in, 
into Tampa, Florida at Berkeley Prep. He teaches there and coaches there. And then uh, another son was in Portland, Oregon. He's graduated from the University of Portland um, last spring and works for the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, he's an engineer. Very cool. Will, will everybody come here for the holidays or will they do their own thing or how do, how do you guys typically handle the holidays? Yeah, we're uh, took an act of God, but our youngest guy's coming home and since the other one's in Tampa, yep. you know, he'll be here, so it won't be a problem. Good, good. Yeah. All right, well, Larry, I want to talk, hit, hit on a couple topics, uh, obviously with, with COVID being such an impact on, on the college, college athletics world. I want to hit on that a little bit, and we're gonna, then we're going to talk a little bit about your career and some of the massive improvements at UT, facility and program-wise, all that good stuff. So let's get started with COVID. Kind of how has, I guess, give the audience a sense of, as, as, the, as the athletics director, how have you – kind of manage this COVID deal the last six, eight months. Obviously it hit during the spring of last year. So you kind of had a little bit of effect during the last school year. Talk to us a little bit about how, I guess you initially started dealing with COVID and how that's kind of evolved over the last six, eight months. Yeah, the, uh, you know, initially we postponed and stopped all activities uh, mid-March last year, which was a shame. We were literally, our women's basketball team was warming up, getting ready to get on the floor and, uh, in Cleveland, Tennessee for the first round of the, the NCAA uh, Division II basketball tournament. And we were told that the NCAA had postponed all the championships and you know, had, to, had to bring them home. When we got back, we continued to play, I believe it was baseball and softball, had a couple games in men and women's lacrosse. And then, then the institution decided that it was, we were going to uh, postpone those and for a couple of weeks until the situation got better. Well, as you all know, the situation didn't get better. Uh, so we, we never did bring back our spring sports, our fall sports, uh, uh, the conference presidents, the Sunshine State Conference presidents decided that we would not play fall sports in the fall. We would move those to the spring. And this was done primarily because the NCAA national office, which is located in Indianapolis, Indiana, decided that in division two, we would not have any fall championships. And that's for cross country, uh, both men and women's cross country, men and women's soccer, field hockey, which we do not have, uh, and a, you know, a couple of other, other sports as well. So uh, we allowed those teams to practice and condition, uh, thinking that we will have some kind of schedule in the spring, uh, albeit minimal, but uh, we are we are going to do some things. So the athletic directors in the conference have met twice a week, two to three hours at a time since uh, probably middle of June. We've, we've put in well over 100 hours to develop some general principles and uh, a whole COVID plan. We used a lot of what the other schools had already developed. I'm talking about division one schools as well as the uh, NFL, the NBA, and NHL, and we're, we're good at stealing. So we, we took a lot of their uh, information and put together quite lengthy plan, uh, a mit you know, mitigation plan, if you want to call it that, or our, uh, our COVID plan. It involves everything from testing to, to uh, how we use locker rooms and how we clean them and uh, how, we're, how we're going to travel and the kind of games we're going to play. Uh, along about midway through this process, we actually had developed all our plans. 
the NCAA national office and their medical staff came out with some guidelines on how often you had a test, uh, which was a little bit more than what we had put in, but you know we agreed to adhere to their policies. And you know, in some sports, they wanted us testing three times a week, which was expensive and, and right. no sense to a lot of us. Uh, some other things that they came up with. What well, anyway? To make a long story short, they have revised that, and there's there's a minimum testing of at least once a week in teams that are playing, but. Uh, you know, at least we don't have to test three times a week. In some cases, there may be twice a week that you test. Um, you know, there's just the nose swab test that, you know, the athletes hate, I hate as well, but uh, we want to make sure we're following all the mitigation plans that the NCAA has. One, so we're keeping kids safe, and secondly, so we're not liable. But recently, uh, in, in the last week, the presidents of our conference have met and uh, have decided that we you know we're going to back off basketball we're not going to start conference games until february 15th normally we'd be playing now we'd have, have one or right. two games before the holidays and then some others they also pushed back swimming uh, in sports we've reduced the number of competitions the ncaa uh, reduced as a whole reduced the number of competitions an example would be in basket and baseball, we could play 50. They reduced it to 40 games. Um, you know, same thing in softball. Um, you know, some of the men women's lacrosse was reduced to 13 um, from the you know the normal 18 that they were they could play. Uh, men and women's basketball was reduced to 22 from the original 28, 29 that they could play. So those things were in every sport took a cut primarily about 25 percent across the board um, give or take a few percentage points depending on the score but those those reasons were um, those things were done to help mitigate the amount of travel needed as well as um, the contacts that people were making that was all done prior to this second wave hitting us of covid um, those numbers were reduced now we're a little bit concerned because you know she seems to be coming back, but I'm I'm convinced that we'll have the a good handle on this by mid-spring. So we will have to see what happens. Uh, but it has been a, a process, and it changes almost daily. Our you know our concern is when we bring our athletes back. Uh, right. Normally we'd send them home. We have a week off over the holidays, and then we have them back here in early excuse me um, late. December the 28th, 29th, but now we're probably not going to allow anybody back on campus until January 10th. But good news is we are going to have some kind of competition and that the University of Tampa will be open. We were very successful in the fall semester. Uh, we had some COVID cases on campus, uh, not the gloom and doom that some people have preached, but uh, they did quarantine quite a few kids who were roommates and friends and whatever, you know, for the gestation period to make sure that they uh, they didn't pass the the um, virus on to anybody else but as a whole we had a great semester at the university our enrollment was good and our students came to class and, and learned and our athletes practiced and participated uh, not in competitions but in scrimmages and other kinds of things they're still training weightlifting so not how, cha how challenging how challenging was it to convince them 
especially back maybe back in the summertime that one because people don't realize University of Tampa many of their they don't have a lot of kids from Tampa most of their kids are from outside of the state of Florida and outside of the Tampa Bay area how challenging was it in, 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 and international kids especially athletes you got a lot of international kids how challenging was it to convince them or to pre present them with, with a sustainable plan of safety and that they're that they're you know that they were going to be safe and to convince the parents that things were going to be okay to come back to campus in the fall and i hate to say it like this most of the athletes could care less uh, it was the parents that we had to convince right. and, it, and it wasn't i don't say it was challenging but i mean we i had uh, probably we have 600 athletes not exaggerating i probably had close to 200 calls from parents wanting to know one, if we were going to compete, two, what we were doing to make sure that their student athletes were safe. You know, I read, I read them or sent them our plan, um, told them that we were going to, uh, you know, test them. What we did on, on campus here is we, um, we tested all of them when they came back, all, all 600 athletes. Then we did what we called surveillance testing, for lack of a better term, where we took a percentage, um, 25%, I believe it was 25% of each team every two weeks and tested them. And if we found any positives, then of course we would you know, test the whole team. Fortunately, we did not find positives. Uh, we did have a couple athletes that tested positive, but they, they went in themselves and got tested because they weren't feeling well. And we quickly quarantined them, the university did, and the university made arrangements and had a separate facility to put kids that they were quarantining them you know, and deliver them food and make sure everything was fine. But uh, again, knock on wood, as of, you know, the last month, we had no athletes that uh, tested positive for COVID. You're pretty confident that the kids got it. Uh, when I say got it, didn't get the disease, but the virus, but got the fact that, you know, they needed to wear masks. They shouldn't be out in the bars and yep. so on. And I would imagine this is going to be a challenging couple of weeks here during the holidays. Obviously, all the kids are going to probably not be on campus and they're going to be, you know, in their own families and interacting with their friends wherever they live. So what are, what are some things that I guess your, you and your coaching staff have tried to really emphasize to your kids not to do? Yeah, we've, yeah, we've, we've talked to all of them and, again, suggested the same things that you're hearing from the government, that nobody um, – you know, go out with large crowd in large crowds that they wear their masks that they think of their parents, grandparents and others are going to visit and, uh, you know, be careful to treat these kids. Uh, the, the athletes that we had the head COVID the cup, the handful, and that's a handful is I think it's three or four at the most. Uh, you know, they, they had some symptoms, but nothing tragic. They were, you know, their symptoms lasted two to three days and then they were fine. Right. Followed through the, the testing. So, you know, we assure them that, you know, you're young, you're healthy, you're vile, you're, you're going to make sure you're going to be safe, but it doesn't mean your parents or your grandparents or others are. So right. kept that same old tune. I'm sure they got tired of listening to us, but ask them to be careful when they come back. We are going to have a, a, a period of time when, uh, you know, that we're, we're quarantining them for lack of a better term. They're going to be able to practice and play, but they, um, you know, only with in themselves and within their own sport. And we're going to try to keep them in groups, smaller groups, like we did at the beginning of the year. We had a four phased approach that was recommended by one of the pro sports. And then the NCAA recommended it as well, where we 
we had them working out in smaller groups and those groups didn't intermingle, which in theory is great, but the minute they walk off the field, they're all together. So um, anyway, it was, uh, it was interesting. How has the NC, I know you, Larry's a member of the NCAA Management Council. How has the NCAA, how do they, if, if you can disclose this, how, how do they go about, do they help you guys financially as far as Division One schools versus Division Two versus Division Three, as far as funding these test results and how aggressive they're trying to be on the testing side, or do they yeah, leave it up to the school to pay for it? No, it's up to each individual school. We so <clears throat> I'm no longer a member of the management council. I've rolled off, but I'm but then I rolled into the membership committee, which is one of the subcommittees of the management council for another couple of years, um, and it's a it's a daily. <laughs> by the division two schools we keep asking the division two for more funding they do not have the money <clears throat> i think you're well aware and you've probably discussed it where the ncaa lost close to a billion dollars last year right they recruited they recouped some of that money through uh, a business insurance plan that they had disruption of business and then from a few other incendiary type of activities that they had uh, but they basically lost about two thirds of their funding. Well, the Division One basketball tournament funds the entire NCAA, including our tournaments in Division Two, as well as other kinds of things that we do, the testing and so forth. Um, so the money wasn't there and is not there at the national office. If the NCAA does not have a tournament this year, bas men's basketball, men and women's basketball tournament at the Division One level. They will lose all that CBS and television money. Right. Then there'll be no funding. The NCAA will be hard pressed to stay in existence. So that's why they're really pushing to host this tournament. Uh, so anyway, they, they make strong recommendations that you do things and then the funding isn't there to help us. It's, it's done by each institution. We have seen uh, institutions have taken significant cuts. We've seen about 250 sports teams dropped across the country. Right. Mostly at the Division One level, but we do have some even in our own conference. Nova Southeastern dropped men's rowing, men and women's rowing. Uh, Florida Tech dropped their football program, uh, primarily because of funding. We have other teams in our other schools in our conference that uh, you know are making some financial moves. We've been fortunate at the University of Tampa. We have great leadership, Dr. Vaughn, our president. We have not um, had to furlough people or lay anybody off. Some of the schools in our conference made everybody take mandatory weeks off without salary. The NCAA national offices laid people off. They offered early buy incentives, early incentives for people to retire early. And quite a few people jumped at that. They have also laid off and furloughed everybody. Everybody that works there had to take a short period of time off. So the money's not there to help support and fund it, right. but we've been fortunate we've had some money in reserve that we've saved a rainy day fund uh, through various different uh, fundraising methods and other things. And we've been able to use that for our testing expenses. The cost of testing has come down a little bit and there's, there's some hope on the horizon that next semester that the costs are gonna drop uh, significantly again. So it won't be nearly as expensive to test kids, but it's, it's not been a cheap uh, possibility and a program. And, and, and just, all the, just all the ancillary little things you have to do as far as around campus and in the, in the athletic facilities, all the different, forget the testing, all the other things that you have to do, the mitigation things that you have to try to create to make it a safe environment, which all that costs money to do that as well. 
Oh, you're right. And that's, you know, the university has spent quite a bit of money uh, providing all the PP, P, PPI, I don't know which I pronounce it, equipment that's needed the mask, the gloves, um, you know, the plastic shields on right. campus. They put up about, um, plastic, a lot of places, uh, anywhere. Dividers. Dividers. They also uh, have put all over campus, you know, hand hand sanitizing machines. The custodial staff has bought uh, all kinds of sanitizing equipment. I was sitting in my office one day, and these guys came in with some mister and just started misting all around my office. I had to stop them and say, "Hey, let me get out of here before you <laughs> do this." And they, and they were on a mission, but but that's good. I mean, the university has taken. Uh, great strides and has spent quite a bit of money uh, we've had to make some cuts financially because of that uh, so, i mean divert some money into other areas to help right. pay for a lot of that so what are your thoughts you mentioned the bubble the bubble scenario in indianapolis for the men's basketball tournament what are your thoughts on that you think that's got to i mean it sounds like that's the way they're going to go um what are your thoughts on the viability of that happening obviously you have indianapolis is a great spot because you have Purdue, you have Indianapolis, you have Bloomington, all within about an hour's drive. That's a lot of facilities, a lot of basketball. That's a big, huge basketball area. How do you think that's going to will work out? You know, once they pretty much committed to not having very large crowds and uh, reducing the size of the populations, I, I thought, you know, this, uh, this is great. They, you know, they could hold it anywhere, host it anywhere, and this is a good idea to provide some security uh, I think it, I think it's a very good idea. It brings everybody in one central location, and there are some coaches that are adamantly opposed to it, but they feel that some will have home home court advantages. But I, I don't know who those would be. Yeah, we're talking about playing, you know, bulk of games uh, used to be called Market Square Arena, but now it's the new football stadium. Right. Talking about playing the bulk of them there, I I think that'd be fine. It'd be exciting. We we're trying to do the same on our level. We have made recommendations to Division Two people to trying to find a location where we could do that. But so far it's kind of fallen on deaf ears. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I would say deaf ears, but the logistics are, are pretty hard. Give it, give it, yeah, that's, yeah. It's like I said, it's going to be very interesting like the, how you guys, especially the division two level, because remember folks, the division two level doesn't get anywhere near the financial support with t television contracts, all those kind of things that you see on division when you're watching, when you're watching your, your local division one team play and your favorite team on ESPN or Fox sports, whatever division two doesn't have that luxury of getting those revenues from those TV contracts and such. So um, Larry, tell us, talk to us about scholarships. Give me a, the difference in the number of scholarships from a division one program and a division two program. For the, for the most part, it's about a third less per sport. Right. Example would be men and women's basketball. In men's basketball, at the Division One level, they can give 13 scholarships. We can give nine points something. It's a fraction, right? Uh, you know, in, in men's lacrosse, Division Ones can give 15 scholarships. In Division Two, we can give 10. Uh, the the vast majority of schools in Division Two do not meet the maximum number of scholarships that we can give. Uh, I would say the majority of them. Uh, only give partial scholarships. There are very few full scholarships. We have 600 athletes at the University of Tampa. We have about 40 scholarships. And other than a few uh, basketball players, none of those are, you know, nobody has a full scholarship. Right. 
Um, we try to, you know, we try to make sure we, we basically use that money as, uh, you know, a little bit of incentive to re either reward kids who've done a good job who've come here and walked on or a little bit of incentive to try to get students to come. The university is pretty good about giving financial aid. Uh, the state of Florida, we have what's called the, the FRAG, Florida Resident Access Grant, which gives any in-state students some additional monies. And then if they, you know, the bright future scholarships, we can get our tuition down uh, with some institutional aid, a little bit of athletic aid, we can get it down and be comparable with you know any of the state schools or anybody else and uh, to make it you know as least expensive as possible for kids to come here. You know, private school, it's usually, you know, we're a little bit more uh, than the state schools would be. Uh, some private schools in the state are a lot more. Our president has done a fantastic job fighting to keep our uh, tuition down. It's one of the reasons we've grown so much. We, we really offer a quality education and, you know, the, the amount of money spent isn't uh, astronomical by parents. Kids today do leave here with loans, which I hate to see, but uh, at least we're not as expensive as, as most of the others. So we're happy. But the scholarships right now, we have not taken away anything. Um, we're still committed to providing scholarship dollars, even if the student athletes do not participate or play. Right. The other thing that the NCAA did, um, if students opt out because they're worried about COVID, you know, they, they still keep their year of eligibility, but they also um, can carry their scholarship. The NCAA has allowed another year of eligibility for all of these kids, which kind of backs things up. It, um, so It'll while, hurt this year. It will hurt this year's recruiting classes. Yes, it does. Um, and that's, and that's a concern of all of ours. You know, I have two sons and I, as we talked about earlier, but if they were playing a sport, I would tell them, you know, you're graduating. You're not going to come back. I don't care you know, what happens with your, your fourth year. Right. Uh, but we have a lot of kids that want that year back. They want to be able to play. So, you know, that doesn't open up available space on the rosters. Uh, so that, you know, the kids that are seniors in high school right now, you know, it's, it's a concern. So Absolutely. we're not sure how many kids are going to come back and how many are not. We keep asking them and you know, they, they don't know. Is there, so, a, is there a deadline they have to tell you by, you know, I'm just picking a day, May uh, 1st or something like that? That's that's up to each institution. It's their discretion to do it. But we've 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 pretty much told them we'd like to know as soon as possible. We don't want to put a right. gun to their head and make them make decisions they regret later. But and then they're all telling us they want to come back. But you know, <laughs> longer the longer they're away, their season doesn't happen. Uh, you know, and then they have an opportunity to get a job or something else. They you know they right. may want they may want to move on. So in a way, it's a great ruling, you know, the, the piece of legislation that changes it, but the same token, it's, it's backed everything up and created a, you know, a backlog of how we're going to handle this. Eventually it's going to have to catch up somewhere. Right. All right. Let's, well, let's, uh, we listen to the powers on sports podcast. We got our guest athletics director, Larry Marfis from the university of Tampa division two institution here in the hometown where I'm at. Let's talk about your career a little bit, Larry. One, you, you were a all-conference football player back in the day at DePaul. Um, you were inducted into their Hall of Fame uh, as a, a player and administrator. Let's talk about how did you kind of when you got out of the, the college playing world, how did you kind of make the decision you wanted to get into the, into the world of college administration? At, at first, I didn't. I uh, first graduated. I went to work 
for a company um, that sold mortgages like all good people do. <laughs> um, I actually worked for a you know, federal national mortgage association, which is a group that, uh, you know, this business well, uh, that puts the money together and packages it. They take the surplus from savings and loans and other places and move it around the country. I did not like the job. I, I lived in Washington, DC. I'm not sure I didn't like the job as much as I didn't like living in the Washington DC area because it was very expensive. So I, uh, called my college football coach. Uh, who just by luck, uh, you talk about perfect timing, he had a graduate assistant student that came in and told me he wasn't coming back. So I, uh, I, like a day prior, he said, well, if you can be here by next Monday, and this was on a Wednesday or so, you know, I've got a job for you. So make a long story short, I went back, took the job um, and started, and I just fell in love with coaching. I wasn't real sure what I wanted to do. Uh, but I just fell in love with coaching. So then I left and was a, once I graduated with my master's, I took a job as a high school coach, as a high school English teacher uh, for five years, loved it. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to the University of Evansville as a football and wrestling coach, assistant football coach and head wrestling coach. While I was there, I was there for five years, four years, five years. Um, they dropped the wrestling program and it was done in a way that I didn't think was appropriate. I was actually out recruiting football players in the other end of the state. And I, at the time, I, the girlfriend I had called and told me that my job was no longer in existence because yeah. of wrestling because the, she read, heard on the news. So I drove all the way back and had to confront the AD. And <laughs> long story, but uh, ended up coaching there another year. And then I moved on to Ohio University. Uh, received, and while I was there, it's another long story, but I won't bore you with it. I had a second master's in athletic administration, knowing that eventually I'd, I'd move into administration. I left there and bounced around at several schools, coaching and taking you know, part-time administrative positions. It wasn't as coveted. I mean, the jobs weren't as coveted as they were as they are now. I usually went to a coach. Um, I worked as kind of a business manager uh, right. at UNLV and coached and worked in the ticket office in Nevada, Las Vegas. It's a combination of things. Um, uh oh. Went from there to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, coached and uh, was an assistant athletic director in another area. And then I went out to California, St. Mary's College of California. Uh, coached for a few years and then uh, actually moved full time into administration there as the as budget started to grow and demands, the NCAA started demanding that each institution have financial management people and compliance people uh, and others. So I just kind of grew into the job and then I uh, took a job, full-time job as an athletic director at Ferris State University in Michigan, another division two school. Right. Uh, I got married. I was a little bit older when I got married. My wife um, is a Floridian. After five years in Michigan, she decided we had had enough of snow and <laughs> very fortunate to uh, apply and to get the job at the University of Tampa. My predecessor was a gentleman named Hyman Wall, uh, who's just one of the greatest human beings in the world. He had worked at Cincinnati and Tulane. He's the athletic director of those schools. And, and then he went to Auburn as associate athletic director and he came here from Auburn, but uh, I knew him, knew of him and I talked to him quite a bit. And he thought that the proper leadership, the University of Tampa was struggling 
uh, financially, enrollment-wise, name right. And uh, our current president, who's been here 25 years, uh, has changed and done an unbelievable. I mean, there's you can't even compare it to any other school in the country. We went from about 2,200 students when I got here to you know 9,500 now, um, and you know the campus has changed. I don't know how many buildings. I think we've spent somewhere close to four hundred million dollars on new buildings. Yeah, I mean, time. I was like I've told I've told you all before. I was a kid growing up in Tampa, and I used to go to UT. Me and my dad would he would take me to a basketball game every once in a while at UT, and I would go watch Buccaneers training camp when I was a kid, like in the early late '80s, early '90s. And that campus has is unbelievably different than it is now, facility wise. Like you said, the number of buildings, the the quality of the buildings, just the Everything about the campus is is, is just completely, completely uh, changed. Yeah, it has, and that's all because of the vision of our president. It's unbelievable. I use the old cliche when I talk about him that he, you know, I see, I look at a pile of rocks and I see rocks. He sees castles when he looks at that pile. He's it's an unbelievable job. And the amazing thing is that as we've grown, uh, our academic profile has jumped significantly. There was a time when the university was taking anybody that could breathe and chew gum. Uh, and now, you know, we're, we're comparable to the, the better, better schools around the country with uh, our admission standards at the university. So it's, it's, a, it's a great place to be. It was a great to watch us grow. It's great to see how something uh, could change. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun being a big part of it. And we have, we probably, I know I'm prejudiced, but we probably have the best Division II facilities in the country. I would agree. I would agree with that. I've been to many schools around the country in various different things, and I would, I mean, full credit to you because that all those facilities, it's not like you can just snap your fingers and they get built. It takes fundraising and, and commitment, and like you said, from the president and the university administration. I mean, you have a beautiful lacrosse facility. You have a beautiful tennis facility. You've renovated the, the Pepin Root Stadium area, your soccer field, your baseball field. And, uh, you know, part of it goes back to winning. You've, you've done a great job under your administra your leadership as far as having fielding winning programs, which, which again, gets the alumni more excited, more willing to write a check for you to help you improve things. So talk about how winning and creating the culture of winning really enhances the entire profile of the athletic department. Yeah, it, it does. And that's, you know, the, again, there's an old cliche that the athletic department is the front porch of the university and that, that is true. Uh, we have unbelievable programs. Our business college, our uh, marine biology is one of the best in the country, if not the best. Uh, you know, but, but they're not out there every day. So uh, get the visibility and obviously that they deserve. Uh, so, but athletics does for whatever reason, right or wrong. And we've, we've had a great program. It wasn't hard here to sell. I, I've been very fortunate. The vast majority of coaches I have that work with me, that work for us, uh, have been here and some of them are alums, some aren't. We don't lose a lot of coaches. Uh, they, they stick around, you know, because our, our head basketball coach, Richard Schmidt, either love him or hate him, but he's he's been here for, I believe it's 38 years. Our uh, Chris Katnick, uh, our volleyball coach who's one of the most successful volleyball coaches in the country has been here almost as long. Um, so we saw our baseball coach has been here 21 years and he's, He's he's a great one. He's as good as I've ever seen. We're very fortunate to have him, as as are some of the other coaches. But 
it, it wasn't hard to build because we, the university had such a great history, particularly in football. Right. And they had a couple of good basketball years, but unfortunately they dropped basketball for some reason when they dropped football in, in the mid uh, 70s. It's a period where we did not have that sport. Uh, but we, we build on the tradition that our former football, past football players have provided for us. And, um, they, they were very, very good back in the day. People don't, yeah, people don't realize University of Tampa used to have a, before the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a, a franchise, before University of South Florida had football, the University of Tampa had football, and they had some great players. Freddie Solomon, who, if you remember, those of you that remember from him from the 49ers, uh, John Matusak, is that correct? Yes, yeah, he, he's a trivia question. He's one of two uh, number one draft choices that come out of the state of Florida. Um, you know, he, he was, a, he was a great, great player. I, I had never had the opportunity to meet him. I've met most of the others. Unfortunately, Freddie Solomon passed away a couple of years ago from right. cancer, but there, there wasn't a greater human being in the entire world than Freddie. Right. He'd come in my office every day and everything would just light up when he walked in here. He was generous. He had a great smile. He was all cared about other people. Um, just a phenomenal human being. And his wife is taken over where he left off and she's doing a, a great job as well. So it was easy to build on that tradition. And then again, having great leadership from our president, um, you know, he looked at the physical plan and said, what do you guys need? What do we need to do? He doesn't stop you at all. You, you sit down talk about what the things are, the needs, the plans that you have. And, uh, you know, we find the funding. We, we've been very fortunate because we've had some very, generous benefactors and donors yeah. over the years that have helped us. And yeah, one, and one of the challenges I know you face is that you're kind of landlocked. You don't have a lot of places to go as far as property, but you've done a great job with the, the limited property that you do have as far as, like you said, you have a beautiful turf facility right there on Kennedy. You have a beautiful little tennis facility uh, kind of nestled in right there in the middle of campus, right next to your, you have a beautiful new rec center. Just all those little things, you guys have done a great job maximizing the space you do have. Yeah, we, we do. And our president, again, it's all his vision. He's got a great master plan. We, there was a while where I was afraid to go on vacation because every time I come back, we, they're taking more and more space, <laughs> uh, build more and more buildings. But it, you know, overall, it's, it's been great for the university. And uh, we build up now because we, you know, we don't have a lot of space. You hit right in the head, we're somewhat landlocked. But the university has purchased additional property over the years and we've had great partners in the city and great partners uh, with some of our donors and some of the local people as we continue to build and find locations there's we're providing great services for the, the city of Tampa and the state of Florida we're, we're meeting a lot of the needs of workers and uh, you know the challenges that are that are coming with finding skilled workers you know, we certainly are training a lot of people especially in the sciences and technology, the medical facilities and computer science, as well as business and others. So, How, ex how excited do you get as a, I know you're a former coach, obviously you have those juices in you. How excited do you get during, during watching a game, especially if you're in a playoff game or something like that, you're in a national tournament. How, how into it do you get as the athletic director, being that you're a former coach, former player, when your basketball team or your baseball team, or your soccer team's in the, in the midst of, in the hunt for another national title. I mean, that's got to be, again, very exciting for you, not just as the athletic director, but just as a former player and a former competitor. 
how, how, how into it do you get with watching your teams and your coaches uh, do their thing? You know, I, I really do get into it. I, I, I tell myself all the time, just calm down. You know, you're not playing. It's not your team. You got to, you know, you helped. Coaches have done a great job, but I live and die by these kids. I shouldn't. Um, I, I, but I get as excited when I see young people that we didn't think had, you know, several kids we had to go hat in hand and get them into the school because they didn't quite meet our admission standards. Uh, and I've, I've had admissions people tell me this kid will never graduate, whether it be a guy or a girl. And I get, I get just as excited when they walk across the stage with their diploma. Right. Uh, that, but I, but I still do get very, very excited. And that's, <laughs> that was one of the things I worked missed when I worked, as I like to say in the real world, uh, you know, people get all excited because they sold a, another mortgage and just wasn't the same as winning a championship and or, or beating a game or seeing kids that come in as freshmen and, and see how they improve and grow and become young men and ladies. I've been here long enough now where, you know, a lot of these, we're starting to see some of the uh, kids, some of the children of some of the, the recent grads, not recent, but, you know, graduated 20 years ago or so. And we're starting to recruit some of theirs and go, man, I remember when your mother or your father were in my right. office because they were drinking too much and getting in trouble. And I never tell them that, but, you know, you just go, and now they're great parents, great, uh, respectable members of the community. And that's what, that gets you excited as much as playing. But so I'm, I keep thinking about retiring and I keep thinking, man, you don't miss that. You don't know, miss that excitement that you get. Um, Absolutely. And that's, that's, and that's, the, again, that's the one thing, again, people don't sometimes forget is, you know, Division two kids, 99.9% .9 of those kids will never play another another game after their college career professionally. So as opposed to the Division One kids where those those opportunities are much more, uh, I guess, available to them at some, to some degree. So it's like you said, those stories off the field that you see that the kid that you didn't think was going to make it or, you know, you know the kid can't screw up because there's not, a, there's not a professional outlet for him to play for the most part. I'm sure you've had I – mean, I, I know you guys have had basketball kids play overseas and – Obviously, baseball kids play professionally, but for the most part, when you're done playing a Division II career, your career is over. Yeah, and that's, you know, that you hit on a good point. We we have a very high-quality baseball program. We can compete with probably 95% of the Division ones around the country. Um, but, you know, parents come, they, well, I want my son to get drafted. I want this, I want that. We go, you know, you need to get an education because even if they do get drafted, chances of making – Major League Baseball are are so minute. Uh, even if they're coming from great Division One programs, or you know they are the next coming of uh, Tom Seaver or some you know, buddy, they it's just very difficult. It's a difficult road to hoe. So we we tell them you're going you're going to get a great education. If they do get drafted, that's you know that's fine. That's a plus, but never count out that graduation because eventually you're going to have to come back to school if, if you do leave for the draft. And, and play but anyway it's, it's a great place to be it's just tickle to death to be here and like I said that I get just as excited like I said seeing kids graduate but I also get excited when I think about what this campus has become for you for you have you ever, did you ever at any point in your tenure you know ever think man I've done great here but I'm going to try to I want to try to get a you know a bigger job a bigger go back to a division one level kind of opportunity how did what what has kept you in Tampa? You know, for, you've been here a long time, twenty two years. You've built a great program. What is kind of the thing that's kind of kept you wanting to stay here, as opposed to maybe, hey, I can go be a AD at a 
Division One institution or a bigger bigger opportunity for you? Um, you know, I, I worked. I started out at the University of Evansville. Coaching was a Division One program. I went to Ohio University in Southern UNLV and St. Mary's. They were all small, mid-level Division One kind of schools. Um, and it's a different feel. It's, you know, you don't get excited about watching kids graduate. You get excited about meeting your budgets and winning national championships. And the, the turnover coaching is phenomenal. It's win, you know, it's kind of win at all costs kind of mentality. And, and that has an adverse effect on you. Yeah. You know, the, the rewards, so you make a little bit more money as an athletic director or as a coach. Actually, as a coach, you probably make a lot more money. <clears throat> but uh, at some point in time, I just realized that's not for me. I just, and it is for a lot of people. I, I appreciate that. But you look at the turnover uh, of athletic directors at USF. You know, I've been here the 22 years, and I think they've had four or five athletic directors in that period of time. Right. And they, they've and they've all been good. You know, unfortunately, Roy Selman you know, died, but uh, the others, right? Uh, you know, had left by their own choice or were kind of pushed out the door. And um, you know, it's a different animal. They've, they've got a really good athletic director now. I, I just hope he doesn't get frustrated and, and leaves. But he's, uh, you know, Kelly's, he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, they, All right, two, two, two more quick questions. I'll get you out of here. All right. Hardest kind of this, the hardest thing for you as an athletic director, I can imagine, would be when you have to make the decision to let a coach go or something, something along those lines. How do you? How does that thought process differ maybe from the division one level, division two level of making a change at the coaching level, coaching spot at some point down the, when you, when you unfortunately ever have to do that. And hopefully you don't have to do that very often, but sometimes you have to do that kind of stuff. How do you go about that process of, of determining it's time to make a change? Uh, you know, it's, we're fortunate here. When I was at Ferris State University in Michigan, I had to make a couple of changes and it's always, you're not a good, you're not a good human being if you don't have a, sinking feeling in your gut and taking consideration how you're going to change this person's whole life and affect their family and all but sometimes it has to happen since i've been here we've only had to let two people go uh and they they weren't for wins and losses you know right. just let it go at that things that shouldn't have happened and they weren't right. good people and we warned them that's that's one of the most difficult things about this job is having to let somebody go uh the the most difficult thing is uh, we've had a couple student athletes that have died either in car accidents or uh, we had a young man who was murdered just up the road on Boulevard uh, about 10 years ago or so. Who was just one, he was just a great kid. And, uh, you know, they were out late and got shot and killed. And that, that was just tragic. You know, that right. was the kinds of things that your heart just sinks. And uh, those are the bad things. But everything else you just take in stride. It's part of the job. Um, we look kind of have a formula that I use, uh, depending on how much funding they have, you know, there's some expectations that they uh, are, that their success is based upon the funding. And I, I'm glad to say that all of our coaches exceed the expectations when it comes to funding. Uh, you know, we don't fully fund the programs, meaning we don't give them the maximum number of scholarships, but they, their teams perform like they have it. Right. Uh, and graduation rates are very important. And the kids are progressing in the classroom that's equally as important as winning and losing. And we, then I look at a whole host of other things, making public relations opportunities. Are they promoting the university? Are they staying positive? Are they working well within staff? 
and the one that'll get you fired faster than anything is if you intentionally break an NCAA rule. Right. There's just no acceptance for that at our level. Uh, there's no pressure on them to win national championships other than the pressure they put on themselves. So, and they all know that. You just don't do that. And if somebody does, then unfortunately we have to make change. But uh, anyway, it is what it is. And that's, that's just part of the job. Like sure. I said, I've been blessed. We have super coaches here. I actually have a little funny, funny story. I actually played growing up here in Tampa. I actually played high school soccer versus Adrian Bush, who's your men's soccer coach. So Adrian was a big time player here in Hillsborough County. And I know he went and played at UT and had a great career at UT. And now he's your head coach, correct? That's correct. He's a, Adrian's a great guy. He's a, he's a bit of a character, but he's a lot of fun. He, uh, you know, we're the university's fortunate, but fortunately he came here to play. He had opportunities to play at a lot of larger schools. And, right. You know, it's just seeing his mother. And I'm, I'm convinced he didn't want to leave his mom uh, in town, but he, he stayed he was a volunteer assistant here for a while. He did other things. And then uh, when the opportunity came, we hired him as a full-time coach and he's, he's done a very good job. Yeah. Adrian was, a, Adrian was a hell of a player back in the day at Hillsborough high school. I played against him multiple times in high school. We're about the same age. So good player. Very, very good player. Well, all right. Last thing, last thing I'll get you out of here. Talk about your, you, your involvement in the community, Obviously, you're a high-profile athletics guy in the community, you and USF, and talk about your 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 involvement with the, you know things like the Outback Bowl and, and some other initiatives that University of Tampa is involved with in the, in the city of Tampa, in Hillsborough County. I think it's important to be visible and uh, to work in the community to be out. Uh, I belong to a Tampa Rotary Club and have been a member since I moved here. Uh, and do a lot with the Rotary Club, not as much as uh, I don't have the time that I would like to, to put in with that club and do a lot more kind of volunteer activities. But uh, it's important to be out, be visible. I'm on the Outback Bowl Board. Um, you know, that's that's a, a great organization. I, I served in some capacity with uh, for the stadium and did some other things. That was an advisory committee and advisory board there. Uh, I try to get our coaches involved and our staff as much activities as possible. It's, it's good to get out in the community and let people know that we're here, uh, that, there, that there's a lot of opportunity in this, this town. To, they'll, let, they'll let you get as involved as you want to be uh, in most places. So I like our people to do, do that. Unfortunately, in, in athletics, collegiate athletics, you know, you're, uh, nine months a year, you're working 60, 70 hours a week and weekends sure. and you have home events. I think it's important to be as much as you can possibly be if there's a game, I like to be there, even if it's not, you know, if it's a soccer game at, on Tuesday night or a tennis match on a Saturday morning, I like to show up, one, just to support the coaches, but to support the student athletes as well. And it gives you a feel for what's going on. So it, it, it limits a lot of the kinds of things that you can do in the community, but we do get out and are involved in a, in a lot of activities. I'm fortunate because my wife is a coach and a teacher, uh, as is one of my sons, and they have an understanding of what's involved. So, uh, you know, my wife uh, pushes me out the door lots of times. Don't you have a game? You need to go. I <laughs> think, think she wants me to get away so I, she can uh, have some peace and quiet, but, uh, but she enjoys coming to games too. So I've seen more and more coaches and administrators get out of the business because their spouse, whether it be a man or a woman, you know, can't understand that they need to be at games and events. I encourage our coaches here to bring their 
their children around and their families around. Uh, that's we're, we're a family business. We're, we're in the business of education. We educate our owners. I like to tell them all the time: don't spend your life raising somebody else's children and neglect your own. That's right. I've, I've seen yeah. that happen. And I would so, and I would encourage anybody who's listening to this: if you're no matter what part of the country you're in, if you're if you're there, most big cities have a division two program within a arm's reach distance from you. That's very quality entertainment, very inexpensive. You let you want to take your son or daughter to a basketball game or a soccer game or lacrosse. You're going to get virtually the same kind of quality. I mean, not the exact same quality, but a very competitive game. If you want to get your children involved in the sport, that's a great way to do that is to take them to a, go to a division two game, very cheap entertainment. You can get in and out of there pretty quick and it's always well-organized. So encourage, you know, it's not all about just going to it. If you, if you can't go to Ohio State or Michigan, that you can't go see a game, go to a Ferris State, go to a St. Mary's, go to a University of Tampa game. Those are, it's a great entertainment to get your kids in, involved in the sport. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. We're, we're as exciting as a lot of institutions. Our frontline people can play at a lot of yeah. uh, schools. We just don't have the depth that the major Division One schools have uh, sure. the competition maybe a step half a step slower uh, but i like to tell people we have all the excitement that they have we just don't have the parking problem that's so, right exactly i mean the, i mean seriously come on out and watch some games plus we're very inexpensive and come and watch games and uh, we just bend over backwards to try to help people so uh to, to get in games we think we owe it to the community to get them involved and get them on our campus well, where can, uh, if anybody's interested in, in getting some information about UT athletics, where can they go online? Where can they, if they were interested in, you know, making a donation of some sort to the program, where can they go to do that kind of stuff? Yeah, donations, donations, they can call me, call our development people. Uh, <laughs> but you start out by going to uh, www.tampaspartans.com. Uh, just look up University of Tampa Athletics, you can Google it, and go to our site and Pretty much all your questions will be answered and you can get our phone numbers and contact information. Give us a call. Uh, see all of our schedules. Uh, we'd, lo we'd love to have you come out as our guest to one of our competitions and games. You'll, you'll enjoy it. You have out-of-town guests. I used to tell people to bring them all the time. Get them out of your house. Bring them over to games and events. We'd love to have them here. Yeah. Well, Larry, I really appreciate the time today, sir, and uh, great great comments on the on the whole COVID issues and, and all that stuff and and continued success down down there at the University of Tampa and I appreciate your time very much today oh thank you all right you guys have a great weekend you're listening to the powers on sports podcast <laughs>